<clears throat> Thank you, team. I just want to make a, a, a quick, simple observation um, before, before we move on. Just cause I think since this from the Lord, just, I, I don't know about you guys, but I, but I already sense that as we're learning to pray, like God is, God is leaning in. Uh, he, he loves to bless his people, and as we're praying, uh, he's responding. And it's an act of faith to pray. Uh, it's an act of obedience to pray, and it's, it's God's uh, gift to us, his grace to us, that he begins to say, when my people pray, I, I, will, I will show up. And so I want you to know that if you are uh, fighting for the motivation to pray, if you're struggling with some of the chaos and craziness of life, getting distracted in your prayer, like, I, I hope you know that, like, I said this last week, it's not that we're asking God to come down to us when we pray. God's already come down to us. It's that we are praying, God, help us to see how you are working, how you're moving, and help us to connect with your heart and your spirit that's moving. And, and I just want to say, I, I personally just sense that happening in my own heart and in the heart of this church, in the life of this church. And so let's keep going. Let's keep pressing in. God is near. He is good. And it's not about all the manifest crazy things that he wants to do. It's, it's about him. He is good. He is good. He is near. And, uh, and so draw near to him. I encourage you in that. Um, this morning, if you, uh, when you came in, you did not get a worship guide. If you lift your hand, we actually have some available. They were, they were trying to get all those. I think maybe you didn't get one, but if you didn't get a worship guide, uh, there's some information in there for you. encourage you to, to, to grab one, to take some notes today as we continue on our conversation about prayer and being a people of prayer and drawing near to God in prayer. And, and so uh, last week we began this process. I uh, just told you guys we sensed that God was telling us to go a little bit different direction than we originally had planned. We were going to get back to our conversation around what it looks like to be, um, in, in, you know, men and women of God and, and uh, in marriage and parenting and some of those things. We feel like God wants us to speak to those things in the coming week. Uh, but we felt like coming out of our conversation around partnership and partnering with, with one another in the gospel here in our city that we needed to, to really grow in this area of prayer. And, uh, and we feel like God's pushing us in that area. And so uh, this is just a time for us to talk through, you know, again, what is prayer and why should we be praying and how should we be praying and some of those practicals of it. And uh, even this morning, I can just simply tell you that in our prayer time at 945 in the prayer room where we meet every Sunday morning with just a team of people that are here, uh, man, we're growing. We're learning how to pray. And it's really sweet. And it's really encouraging to hear people pray um, and to hear the kind of things that are coming out of our mouths. And they're way more personal. They're not so like, you know, just all this flowery language or all these churchy words. It's just personal prayer and just connecting with the Father's heart. And so I'm personally encouraged by that and thankful for that because it's so, uh, it just so builds us up. Um, and, and so there, there is a sense in which we can approach prayer with a real religiosity. You know what I'm talking about? We can be real religious in our prayers, and we can say the right things. Like, when I was growing up in church, um, you know, when we had always this very consistent rhythm of how our church service kind of flowed, and one of the parts of our church service was the offertory prayer. Now, some of you guys didn't grow up in church, so you don't really know what that is. But some of you grew up in church, you know, the, they had the offertory prayer. And the offertory prayer was a chance for uh, somebody in our church, uh, usually a, a man, to get up and to pray before the offering. And, and I'm telling you, I have no idea what they were saying half the time, okay? And I'm, I'm sure they did, and I'm sure they, they, they knew it. And I'm not condemning it. I'm just saying I had no idea what they were saying. They used words I'd never heard. Um, and they use words I don't think that we typically use in our everyday vernacular. Uh, but it was like real important at that moment that whoever got called on to pray, you know, they pray these really amazing, uh, big worded prayers. And I'm not saying that they're, they're all wrong, but I, I just, it's interesting how uh, in our lives when we talk about prayer, what is prayer, we, can, we, get, we get almost like a different voice. Uh, we, we feel like we, you know, we've got to be um, real, real formal and, and again, I just think that God is teaching us how to be more personal with him. And, and I hope that we can continue to grow in some of that uh, as a church family. And as we look at this passage of scripture today, we're going to talk about, last week we talked about a really famous passage in scripture about Mary and Martha and how uh, Martha was so distracted by good things, right? Distracted by good things. Uh, she was serving. She was being hospitable. She was doing all these great things. But, she's, but Jesus says, hey, listen, Martha, like Mary's chosen what's more important. And what's more important? than just doing a lot of stuff for God. Being with God, right? Not just doing a lot of stuff for God, but being with God. And it's from being with God that we then can do stuff for God in the right way, with the right motive, 
with the right heart, but also with the, the empowered presence of God and not just doing stuff. And so we talked about that last week. And so Martha was distracted and she may have had a good intention, but she got, she got kind of lost in her stuff. And here's Mary sitting at Jesus' feet. She's listening to the Savior. And this week our challenge was, hey, just as a church family, let's just ask the Lord to help us take 30 minutes a day. I mean, for some of us, that's, that's a huge ask, but just 30 minutes a day to sit still before the Lord. And I can tell you that I've already gotten messages from people that said, God is working. You remember what we said last thing, last thing we said last week is that if you will take this time, I promise you, you will start to see the world differently. You'll start to understand God differently. You'll start to see yourself differently because God will meet you there. Not because it's a magical thing or some sort of, again, just religious uh, rote tradition thing, but because that's what God, again, wants us to do, is to meet with him. And so I've already gotten messages and people saying, hey, God is meeting with me. God is moving in my life. Uh, reading the psalm, meditating on him, and then hearing him speak and getting to, like, see things that I've never seen before. So I encourage you, again, keep leaning in, keep growing in that. And I hope that um, like me, I, I struggled with that this week. I mean, I put the challenge out in front of you guys, and then it was like a battle every day to set aside time to spend with the Lord. But I can tell you that when we do, God again will minister to us, and he will meet us there. And so last week we talked about that famous passage. This week we're going to talk about an even more famous passage when it comes to prayer, and that is the Lord's Prayer, okay? So if you have a Bible, and pull it out, Luke chapter 11. Um, if you are going to teach someone how to do something, then you have to, to tell them and you have to show them, right? You have to show them what it looks like. And, and so in this passage today, that's exactly what Jesus is doing. He is telling his disciples, he's showing his disciples how to pray. And I want to read the passage and then we're going to make some observations, but then we're going to break this thing apart today. And we're asking the Lord to help us, okay? So let me read it to us. Uh, Luke chapter 11, verse 1 through 4. And some of you may know the Matthew version of the Lord's Prayer, and so you, you may say, well, wait, this isn't all of it. Um, the ideas are here, the pattern is here, and this is what Jesus wants us to learn from today, okay? So Luke chapter 11, verse 1 through 4, and here's what it says. He was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. He said to them, whenever you pray, say, Father, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us. And do not bring us in to temptation. Here's what I want to do. I want to stop and I want to pray. I want to ask the Lord to give us humble hearts to be teachable today. One of the most dangerous things we could do is talk about prayer or even come to God's word and think, we got this, okay? So let's ask the Lord to speak to us. Open our hearts so we can learn today. Father, I pray against any pride in this room. I pray against anything that would set itself up in saying, we already got this, we know this, we, we've got this, we covered. And I pray, Father, that today you give us humble, teachable spirits to receive from you. God, help us to hear your voice and to obey what you're saying, not just to know it, but to actually do it. Give us the courage to do that today. And I pray the very words the disciples said in this passage, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Um, just a couple of notes. I think these may be obvious, but I want to say them on the front end. First off, if Jesus prayed, we need to pray. Okay? If Jesus prayed, and he was a, he was a man of prayer. In fact, it says multiple times in the scripture that he would withdraw early in the morning to a quiet place to pray. Uh, if Jesus needed to pray, <laughs> we need to pray, right? And it should be a priority for our lives. It should be something that we do regularly. But also, if Jesus' disciples who watched his life for three years, day in and day out, if they came to him and said, Jesus, teach us to pray, that's a good thing for us to do as well, right? Jesus, teach us to pray. And as we've said before, maybe some of you have heard me say this before, Jesus doesn't say, now you'll figure it out. Just keep doing what you're doing. Just keep saying some words and eventually it'll come to you, right? No, he gives them a pattern. He actually says, okay, you want me to teach you to pray? I'm going to teach you to pray. And this prayer that he gives us is simple enough that a, a child can say it. In fact, sometimes, some of us need to get back to childlike faith when we pray. We need to get back to some, some simplicity in our prayer. We make it overcomplicated. I mean, um, I'm guilty of this. Anybody ever preach at other people in your prayers? 
Start pre- you start preaching, like you're praying, but really what you're trying to do is, Lord, help them to hear what I'm saying right now, okay? Help them to get it, right? You pray with your spouse, you pray with your friends, you pray with your coworkers, and you're like preaching at them through your, through your prayers. And that's one of the weird things about praying with other people sometimes is it's like, who are we praying to? I think, I think we've got to start praying to God and start praying here. Um, but what I want to say to us is that we need to grow in prayer, and, 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 and obviously Jesus will give us this pattern to do that, and in it, uh, it's not that Jesus was saying, okay, now every time you pray, pray exactly these words, right? He's not saying every time you pray, pray these words. Now, it's interesting about this Lord's Prayer theme, and I, again, I don't want to be just condescending or criti- critical. Uh, I'm sure there's some, you know, merit somewhere in there, but, uh, you know, growing up, I was an athlete, and I loved playing sports, uh, and, and interestingly, uh, before the games we would play, uh, somebody would lead us in the Lord's Prayer. And so it was like a common thing, like we're going to go out to, you know, play a football game against somebody, and they're like, okay, everybody, let's circle up, and we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer. All right, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Help us hit them hard, right? It was like, I mean, I, I don't really understand completely what was going on in that moment. I think it was just a ritual where, like, we need everything. I'm going to rub my rub, lucky rabbit's foot. I got my lucky socks on, you know. got my stinky shirt I haven't washed all season to make sure. All these, I need all these things to combine so that we can win this game. Now, again, maybe there was some genuineness in there somewhere. But I don't think that's what Jesus intended, right, is for his prayer to then become some sort of lucky rabbit's foot. Uh, he, he's saying this is, a, again, a way, a, a way, a process even for us to, to, to approach the Father, a, 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 um, a, a position that we find ourselves in, a posture that we find ourselves in, and even a way that we interact with God personally. And so I, I want to say that even as we look at this um, prayer, I, I encourage you, like, it's important to memorize. I think it's actually helpful to memorize this prayer. I think most of us in this room probably have memorized uh, this prayer because it said so much. But don't think that just saying this prayer is somehow going to get you like merit points in the kingdom of heaven. Like God's going to hear if you just pray this prayer, right? That's not the point of what Jesus is saying here. All right, just, just putting that out there for the obvious things. The foundation of this prayer is found in the very first word Jesus says here. The foundation and the basis of prayer is found in the, the first word. In fact, I would say to you that if we miss this first word of this prayer— We've missed the whole point of the rest of the prayer. Do you notice what Jesus says when he starts this thing? He says what? Father. Matthew, our Father. Now, this is maybe not as unusual to us as it was for the people in their their time. I've already said this a couple weeks back, and, and even last week reiterated the point that when we come in prayer, we are coming to our Heavenly Father, right? But up until this point, no one had ever called God Father. Let me say that again. Up until this point, no one had ever said Father in heaven. We now say it all the time. We hear that all the time. That's something that people pray, some people use. When Jesus said this, it was revolutionary. It was transformational. It was like, whoa, he just said Father. And not just that, he said our Father. Like we get to be a part of that. Like we're brought into that. That's amazing. That's incredible. What a privilege, right? That speaks to something that's really powerful. First off, because, and this is, pre-cross. This is before Jesus has gone to the cross. This is before Jesus has actually paid the price for our sin. Uh, But how is it that we can actually call God Father? How is it that if this is the pattern and we're supposed to follow it, that that we could actually say Father? Well, uh, some of you guys know I'm a huge J.I. Packer fan, and uh, he's written a book called Knowing God. And in his book, he talks about how that the most important understanding we must have as we approach God is adoption through propitiation. That's two big uh, words. We get the adoption word, the propitiation word, not so much. But what we basically learn uh, in that is that, listen, the only reason we can call God Father is because we've been adopted into God's family because Jesus paid the price through the cross, through what he did through on the work of the cross, for him paying and actually satisfying the wrath of God. That's what propitiation is all about, that big, that big word, is that he took on the wrath of God, the Father, towards sin. And that wrath should be aimed at us. Let me say it again. We should be under the wrath of God for our sinfulness. That's what we deserve. I mean, that's what the Bible says, that the wages of sin, what you earn from sin is death. And that's because God, in his justice, in his righteousness, would say, I'm just going to wipe you out. But instead of wiping us out, he poured out his wrath against sin, against rebellion and injustice on Jesus Christ. 
And so that adoption, that, that ability to call God Father, sometimes we can be really trite. We can be sort of like, Father in heaven. I, I, I hope and pray that that's not the case today. That we understand the incredible depth of sacrifice that Jesus went through, that he paid so that we could call God Father. Now, that speaks to the fact that God loves us so much, right? I hear people all the time like, I just don't know if God loves me. Or I don't, I don't know if, I, if God could really love me. Or, or maybe even, I gotta do more so that God will love me. I've gotta read my Bible, I've got to pray, I've got to tell other people about Jesus, I've gotta be a good person, then God will love me. The cross says God loves you, right? The cross says, it declares to us that God loves us, and so we've been adopted, we've been brought in the family, so then when we pray, the basis of our prayer is as God's sons and daughters. And if we miss that, then the whole rest of the prayer gets skewed. It gets messed up, right? Because all we start to do is take prayer and make it about us and about our, our trying to attain a status before God to try to get to, to some sort of level of spirituality or some sort of merit badge that we can wear. Uh, or we just, you know, turn prayer into all kinds of funky things. But when we come, we understand that God is our Father, which means we can pray boldly and we can pray with great trust that our Father who is good and who is perfect will provide exactly what we need. Anybody ever ask God for the wrong things? Every single one of us, right? Every single one of us. We've asked God for the wrong things. We've asked God for things that we don't need. We've, we've asked God for things that we uh, shouldn't get, because if we get them, right, it's going to destroy us. It's going to be painful for us. We, 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 we say, well, we know what's best for us. No, we don't. We don't know what's best for us. We're foolish, okay? But I can tell you this morning that when you come to your Father in heaven, you can trust his heart for you, and he's going to give you what you need. That's what Scripture says in another place where he says, you know, if you come to him and you ask for, you know, bread, is he going to give you a stone? You, you know, if you, if you ask for, uh, he, he, he's going to give us good gifts, and he's going to give us what we need because he's wiser than we are. Amen? God is wiser than we. So he's a good father. We can approach him boldly. Uh, Tim Keller, in his prayer book, he talks about this, and I've heard him speak about this before, but he, he talks about this idea. It actually came up in our prayer meeting this morning, that when it comes to God as Father, uh, you can think about this idea of God is also, and especially in the Old Testament, the primary way we see God is God is a holy, uh, he is a holy uh, Lord. He's a holy king, right? That's the primary idea. And, and he doesn't stop being that when he becomes our Father. So he's still king, and he's now Father. So he's a Father King, which is really awesome. And the reason why this is significant is you think about like, okay, even in our current world, uh, who has access to a, a leader, to, to a king, uh, like all the time? In fact, if, if the president of the United States were out here on the lawn today, and you just decide I'm going to make a mad dash over him, and I'm going to actually like ask him a question, ask him for something, you're going to get shot, right? Secret Service is going to take you out. But you know who could do that? the son or daughter of the president. They could have access, right? They could run to him. And that's because there's a different type of relationship that's there. And what I'm saying to you today is that we, as God's sons and daughters, can have access all the time. There's other parables we don't have time for them this morning. We'll talk about them next week. They even speak to this idea that we have this kind of access to the eternal God. And so this morning, we remember that Jesus Christ has made a way for us to be adopted through the price that he paid, to come into the family and to actually call God Father. And when you start your prayer, I think I mentioned this last week, but I want to say it again in case you happen to not be here. I know for some of you that is really hard for you to call God Father. And it's because of your own interaction with your, heavenly with your, with your earthly father that skews your picture of your heavenly father. And so it's really difficult. I heard a story of a young man, literally, who was in his 30s, and he had been walking with Jesus a long time, but he never would use the word Father when he came to his prayer time. And finally, one of the guys who was discipling said, why is it that you will never use the word father? And he said, honestly, I just, I can't picture God as a father because my earthly father was such a, a punk, honestly. It was terrible. He, he abused me. He, he, he did all these things to me. I can't imagine. And so some transference sometimes happens. And let me again remind you, as we have been, God is a perfect heavenly father. He's a good heavenly father. He's not like your earthly father. Praise God for that, right? Even the best earthly fathers still are imperfect and struggle and fail, and they're not going to measure up to the God of the universe and the Father that He is to us. 
So, Father, that's the basis for our prayer. The second thing he says is, your name be honored as holy. Your name be honored as holy. So, not only do we approach God with Father, but we remember he is holy. We, we remember he is, he is awesome. He is worthy of our reverent awe, okay? That means we don't get flippant when we come to God. There's a danger when we see him personally that we could then be, kind of think, well, like, you know, we can just be real loose and just indifferent, like kind of, oh yeah, just God in heaven, you're awesome, you know, like, no, but like, we really approach him with a sense of awe, with a, with a holy fear. And I don't mean like, again, like, if you're in Christ, we don't have to fear ultimate judgment, but we understand he's the creator, that there is no one like him, that there never has been, that there never ever will be. Like the Jeremiah 10, verse 6 and 7 says this, Yahweh, there is no one like you. You are great. Your name is great in power. Who should not fear you, king of the nations? It is what you deserve. For among all the wise people of the nations and among all their kingdoms, there is no one like you. And I can give you lots of Old Testament passages that speak to this and even New Testament passages that speak to this idea that God is worthy of our awe, our reverence. And I would say to you that there is a danger sometimes in my heart and I'm guessing in your heart to just be flippant with God, to approach him and forget like just how awesome he is to forget that he is the creator and the sustainer of all things. We never should lose a sense of awe and reverence, even as we approach him as our heavenly father, right? We want to respect him as God. We want to see him as God. We want to honor him as God. And when we pray, we come with that sense of, I'm not just coming to anybody. He's not just another person. He is a perfect, all-knowing, all-powerful, mighty God who keeps this entire universe going. He sustains it. In fact, if you haven't read the book of Job lately, I encourage you to read some of the passages in Job where, where Job is wrestling it out with God a little bit. He's wrestling out his own flesh to really trust that God's good in spite of his circumstances. And he starts talking about some of the things that God has done, right? And uh, God says, well, you know, were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth, when I poured out the oceans like that, when I measured the, the, the universe with the span of my hand? I mean, God is big. He is mighty. He is awesome. He is not weak, powerless, and incapable. He's incredible. We, we have awe for him. There is no one like our God, okay? And so we approach him that way. The third thing that we notice is he says, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. So you're my father, God. Your name, uh, your name, you know, is, is honored, is to be holy, set apart, I want in awe of you, but your kingdom come. That's the first thing, uh, as he starts to shift a little bit, he says, your kingdom come. This is a prayer, really, of surrender. This is a, this is a, 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 com a comment from Jesus showing us that we should come in prayer to surrender. Um, when we pray, we are praying so that God would be glorified, not so that we would be glorified. Now, that might sound really simple, and you're like, uh, yeah, I got it. I, yeah, I know that. But think about this. When you, think, when you consider your prayers, how much of your prayer is about you getting the honor, you getting the glory, right? You, I mean, I'm just being honest with myself. If I look at my prayer life, much of that is about my name being great, right? About me being perceived in a, in a right way or me getting glory, Jesus says the pattern is, is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's where it says in Matthew, as he extends that out a little bit. So prayer is not about us getting God to submit to our desires. It's getting us in a position where we submit to his desire. Some of you guys know from Psalm 37, 4. Again, we've talked about this before here, but uh, it's good to reminder. Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Right? Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Well, that's really cool. We especially like that last half. We really like that last half. God will give you the desires of your heart. But here's the problem, right? Uh, we forget that the first half is to delight ourselves in him. That, that when we do that, actually the desires of our heart shift, and they become his desires. It's not, God, I praise you so that you will give me what I want. I praise you because you are good and you are worthy and you're awesome and you're holy. And as I begin to do that, my mind begins to shift in what I actually realize I need and what I really truly want as his child 
as his son, as his daughter. So prayer is not about, again, God, getting God to get on our page, if you will. When we pray, we're asking for more of God's rule and his reign in our hearts and in the earth. Your kingdom come, right? What is the kingdom all about? A kingdom is all about the will of the king, right? Everything surrendering, submitting to the will of that king. Uh, honestly, if you were to take, like, what is the best government structure? Okay, a little side, sideball here. Uh, the best government structure that could exist, you know what it would be? A benevolent king. A king who was all wise and all perfect and basically took complete care of the people, right? Who were under his leadership and under his authority. You're like, I don't know about that. Maybe if, as long as the king was me, right? No, but seriously, think about it. If you had a benevolent king who truly did what was best for the people in every way at all times and all things and was completely wise in that, that would be the best scenario, right? We have that king, and he has a will. And when we surrender to it, we get to experience more of his kingdom. When Jesus came, he said, the kingdom is here. He began to preach the kingdom. Now, here's the, the reality. The kingdom hasn't arrived in full yet. I mean, that's part of the problem, right? We live in a world where there's still people who are not living under submission to the king. They're not living in light of it. In fact, in your heart and in my heart, there are still places and, and there are things where we are not submitted to Jesus. We are not submitted to the king. And we're seeing some of the impact and the effect of that, aren't we? And so when we come to pray, we pray, God, your kingdom come. Like, your will be done. We want you to be the king. We want you to be in charge. We want your agenda to be the one that's driving us, not our agenda. And this is very, very hard, isn't it? It's very, very hard because when you come to prayer sometimes, maybe many times, we find that a lot of times it's, God, I want you to do this, and I want you to do that, and I want you to do this. And, and again, I think as we grow in prayer, we can actually pray boldly for things, but we will pray his will be done as we pray those things. That's why I said last week, if you were here, we said we've got to know God's word because God's word speaks his will. And when we begin to pray his word, we're praying his will. And listen, God's going to show up when we do that because that's the things that he wants done. That's his agenda. That's his desire. That's his goal. It's for more of him in our lives. So the bigger, there's a bigger reality uh, when we pray than us building our own little kingdoms is to pray that God's big kingdom would go forward. It would advance. It would expand. We look forward to the day when it will fully happen. Now notice to this point in the prayer, three lines in, Father, your name be honored, your kingdom come. Notice that Jesus has yet to say anything about himself and his personal need, right? Now, just, just a note here. Um, every now and then I'll get in a stint of journaling my prayers. Anybody ever journal, journal your prayers? Sometimes it helps you kind of stay on, on, on track. And I remember early on when I started doing this that I would immediately go through my, my prayer list, right? And I would start to just pray for things and ask for things in my journal. And thankfully, by God's grace, he's grown me to, to stop and first and foremost meditate on him, who he is, praise him, thank him, start there, right? And I, th I believe that what Jesus is showing us even in this is that our human hearts naturally move straight to verse three and we forget verse two. <laughs> that we naturally live in verse three in our prayer life. That we naturally go straight to the, the needs and the, the things that we want God to do. And he's saying, no, start with who God is, what he has done, right? Start with his kingdom, his desire, his will to be done. Now, practically, just for a second, this is helpful, um, because we're going we're gonna to talk about some of the things that go from the vertical, because if you would really, to, to, to evaluate this, you would say, okay, well, the first, this, this verse two is really about me and God, and me really seeing him and identifying him as God in charge and coming up underneath that. Think about some of the things that you pray for. What would happen if when you were praying for your job, you started here? What would happen if you were praying for your marriage and you started here? What, if, what would happen if you were praying for illness or for financial provision or for a future spouse if you're single? Or what, what if you were praying for, the, what, if, what if you started here? How do you think that would reshape the way you prayed for those things here? You think it would change? Absolutely it would change. Your perspective would begin to change. 
And, and some of the burden that you're carrying would actually begin to be released to the one who can carry it. Because sometimes the burden that we bring, maybe even we've added a burden, which is to convince God to get on our page. You agree? Sometimes, we, because we actually get angry and bitter and mad at God when he doesn't answer prayer the way that we want him to. But we didn't start with reminding ourselves that he's the one in charge to start with. That he's the one who's wise and he's the one who actually loves us more than we can imagine, who adopted us in, who provided for our greatest need. And so all these other things we're about to ask him for, he's, he's got it. He's got it. So the third verse as we begin to get to it, we have to start with that, that foundation, that approach to God, that he's our father, that it's about his glory, and it's about his will. Now when we get to the, the actual requests, um, notice the first thing that he says, he says, give us this day, this is verse three, give us each day our daily bread. This is really a prayer of dependence, right? It's a prayer of dependence on God. Now, I, just being real honest here, um, I don't operate like this. Um, meaning, we live in America, so there's not a day that I go in my natural, normal rhythm, say, God, I, I pray that today you'd give me food to eat, because I have a job, I have work I do, I have money that comes in my paycheck, and I then take that money, and I go down to HEB, or to wherever I'm going to buy food, and I grab my food, and I go home, and I eat it, Right? And so this idea of dependency on God to just get my food doesn't always really seem to connect. But do you notice a few things in this phrase that Jesus is reminding us? One, he's reminding us, he says, daily bread, right? That prayer is not supposed to be something we do sporadically or even for a few days, but that every day we come to our Father, every day. And hopefully it's more than just once a day, right? But every day we come to our Father and, and we're praying and we're reminded in those moments that God is the one who provides the very sustenance we need to live. That bread would have been, I mean, to them bread was a much bigger deal than it is to us. But it reminds us that we are only alive by the grace of God. We are only sustained by the grace of God. And part of our problem in the United States, which is also the reason why we struggle with prayer, is because we're, we're like, we have so much. We've got so much comfort. We've got so much stuff. We've got this, God. We don't really need you, do we? That's a dangerous thing to say. Because the only reason your heart's beating and you have air in your lungs is, is the grace of God. That's the only reason we're still even here. And the only reason we have money in that bank account, or we can go and get food, is God's goodness and his grace. I know that's really, uh, maybe uh, in this culture, not, not, uh, not something you want to say, but I'm telling you right now, that's, that's what the Bible teaches us. It is God's goodness. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. Even the, the things we need just to live our everyday life come from the hand of our God. And so there's a dependence on God. It, it reminds us that we are dependent on him for everything the basic provisions of life are from him. He provides. Now, the second thing that he does, he not only says, give us this day our daily bread, he says, forgive us our sins. Um, now, this is interesting, right? Because Jesus is giving us a pattern for prayer. Did Jesus need to ask for forgiveness? Okay, okay just, just so we're clear. No, all right? Jesus did not sin. He did not need to ask for forgiveness. But he puts this in the prayer. Why did he put it in there? It's not for him, it's for us. Now, let me, let me wrestle this out a little bit because um, if you know the Bible and you understand at a basic level the gospel, whenever you receive the gift of salvation, which it's a gift, the Bible says our salvation is a gift. It's not something we can earn. Just making sure we're all on the same page here, okay? Because I feel like more and more, I still find people that are trying to earn their way to God. Salvation's a gift. So we receive this gift. And as, a, as part of that gift, we receive the forgiveness of our sins. And we are actually imputed. We are given righteousness. Now we are righteous in Christ. So when God looks at you now, he doesn't look at all your sin and say, that's what defines you. He looks at Jesus' perfection and he sees your righteousness. And he says, that's what defines you. 
which by the way, Hebrews 4, we don't have time for it, but that's why we can even approach God, his throne of grace with confidence when we pray. Okay? Now, the reason this is important is because when we think about this idea of forgiving us of our sins, we are forgiven, right? So if we're forgiven, why do we need to ask for forgiveness? You ever thought that? Am I the only one who ever has that? Let me tell you why. Because I forget on a daily basis that I'm still a sinner who still needs to continue to bring my sin to the Lord and be reminded that Jesus did pay the price for that sin. That I'm very forgetful. That I, that I, rem, I, I forget many times that as I said earlier, as God's kingdom is coming, both in my heart and in the world, there are still places where there's rebellion, where there's resistance, where there's lack of trust, where there's lack of obedience. And so when Jesus is saying, forgive us our sins, he's not just saying, hey, you need, to, you need to agree that you're a sinner. That's part of it, but you also need to what? You need to turn from that sin. It's called repentance. And so in Jesus' pattern for his prayer, he's saying that part of our prayer life should be repentance. It should be saying, God, I've been trusting in myself for this. God, I've been arrogant about this. God, I think I'm awesome, and I forgot how awesome you are. God, I'm not talking to my neighbors and to my coworkers and my friends about Jesus, and I know that's what you've gifted me and called me to do. It's what you've commissioned me to do. God, I, I'm not living for your kingdom. I'm living for my kingdom. God, I'm not, I'm not in, involving myself in your kingdom work. God, I'm doing my own thing. I've lost sight. And then we say, God, get me back on your page. God, I'm not following your plan for marriage and, and loving the way that you loved your church, Jesus. I'm not uh, living in light of the gospel. I'm not living a life that, that represents you well. And so we confess those things to him, right? We confess those things. God, I'm worrying all the time that you're not gonna take care of me. That's a, that's a sin, right? That's, that's a sin. That's a, a lack of trust in God. Whatever it is that's in your heart, I don't know what all the struggles you have in your heart, in your life. I know the ones that are in mine. And when I come to God, I say, God, I can confess that because you've already forgiven it. And I'm going to ask God for help to change direction, to change course here, to actually walk in obedience, to move from disobedience to obedience in my life. So when we pray, it should be part of our prayer life. It should be part of our interaction with God. Our communion with God is, is repentance. God wants us to not only ask, again, for forgiveness, but to move away from that disobedience and to align with his plan and his agenda. Um, and then the next thing he says is not only do we forgive us, but he says, for we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us. This is really about a prayer of, of mercy, <laughs> of mercy for others. Um, I, I would say that based on my interaction with people and knowing my own heart, that when I read this passage and I, I read this line, I'm reminded that a lot of our prayer lives are kind of stunted. The growth is stunted. We've kind of gotten where we're not really growing in prayer because we have unforgiveness in our hearts. And maybe this is you, and if I'm stepping on your toes, um, I just want you to know I'm doing it out of love. But some of you are praying and asking God to do things for you, and you are not showing mercy and grace to people around you. You're not forgiving other people. You're holding grudges. And you know what Jesus said? At one point in his in his, under, in his teaching, he said that if you're at the altar and you're giving a gift of worship to God, but you know there's something you're harboring in your heart, you need to go and deal with that first. And what I see in this passage is he's saying, not only are we asking God to forgive us of our sin, but we're asking God to help us to forgive others for the sins they've committed. I, I think that maybe it's possible that in this room today, there's, there's hurt, there's resentment, there's bitterness and you're saying, God, I want you to work in my life. I want you to, to move powerfully. And God's saying, I want to do that, but I want you to deal with this unforgiveness in your heart. It's serious. We can't say we love our God and yet hate our brother, right? That's what the scripture says in 1 John. And so in this, he says, we forgive others as we have been forgiven. That's what the standard and the measure of forgiveness is. Now, one thing I should say here. We are not, we are not, when we say, when we are saying forgive others, we are not saying condone sin. We're not saying enable people to walk in sin. We speak the truth in love, right? We're not saying turn the other, uh, just turn a blind eye to sin. God doesn't do that. Even when he forgives, sin is serious. So it's important that we remember he's not saying you just ignore sin, you act like it really didn't happen, uh, all those things. 
But what he is saying is we can forgive, right? We can say, you're off the hook. I am going to release you, and I'm going to, to give, in a sense, give you over to the, the Lord, and I'm going to trust him with the work he wants to do in your heart and your life, and I'm, I'm going to stop carrying around that, that grudge, that burden that I'm carrying. Um, just because we're in church on Sunday doesn't mean we actually are practicing forgiveness in our life, right? Just because we have Christian community, even just because we're children of God, does not mean that we're actually walking in forgiveness. I've learned that. And so we have to, and it's a process, by the way. It's a process. But God wants us to learn how to forgive. One of the interesting parables, Matthew chapter 18, Jesus tells about this. You guys remember the story uh, in Matthew 18, if you know, if you know this, this passage. Um, it talks about the unforgiving servant. It talks about the, the, the leader, the, the, the man who's in charge, and how that he forgives a debt. And then the guy who gets his debt forgiven turns around and basically has the guy who owes him, he has him thrown in jail. It's like, wait just a minute. When I read that story, it makes zero sense. And yet I see that play out time and time again both in my heart and the hearts of others, that God has forgiven us everything, and then we want to hold other people accountable for things that God has forgiven us for. So, I'm not saying, again, that we turn a blind eye of sin. If you, if, you, if you know someone or see someone who's in sin, and they are hurting you in their sin, you need to directly address that. But you also can turn that over to the Lord and trust Him with that. Trust them Trust God with their lives. And then the final thing that Jesus prays in this pattern is he says, and do not bring us into temptation. Some of you were with us when we went through the book of Ephesians and we got to Ephesians chapter six and we talked about spiritual warfare and that we're in a battle and that we have an enemy, like 1 Peter 5 says, that he is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Um, one prayer that you can pray consistently over yourself, over your family, over our church family, is God protect us from the enemy and his lies. Protect us from his schemes because he is scheming, he is warring, he is trying everything he can to get us distracted, get us set our eyes on, on the wrong things to destroy our, our, our very witness that we are supposed to have in the world, right? And so we need to pray, lead us not into temptation, bring us, God, from this place um, where we are naturally inclined to give into our flesh. God, help us to walk by your spirit and not by our flesh, okay? Ephesians six eighteen. We know that, that he says pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all types of prayer requests. That's on the back end of him saying get your armor on because you're in a battle and pray. Pray, pray, pray. Pray for protection. Pray for provision. Pray, pray against the enemy. And so one of the things that we would ask that you would pray for each other is pray God. God would help us to see the enemy, to see his lies, to see how he is working against us and to protect us from those things. To pray against isolation. One of the things I've noticed about men in particular, because I spend more time with men one-on-one -on -one and talking through discipleship and, and the, the gospel, is, and even, even just in conversations in the last couple of weeks, men can tend to isolate, can tend to like really struggle, and then instead of getting help, we like say, I'll figure this out, and we dig a deeper hole, right? I can do this. I got this. I'm strong enough. I'm big enough. You know, whatever it is, and we start to, 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 to isolate Listen, the enemy wants us to do that because we become very, very weak when we are all cut off from Christian community. That's one of the reasons why we say every week we want you to be in community, in a, a life group or some sort of group of people who know you and, and, and they know your sin, they know your weaknesses, they know your struggles, and they're holding you accountable and they're calling you to, to, to obedience, to surrender. But lead us not into temptation. We're praying that God, would you protect us from isolation? Would you protect us from living our lives as if we got this? independence. God, help us to, to live more interdependently and let us ultimately again to live a dependent life on you. Now, I just want to wrap up our time today by reminding us that this is a pattern for prayer. And my guess is that you are strong in some of those things and you're weak in some of those things. That some of you may have no problem calling God Father and really appreciating that. But you may be struggling to ask God to be reminded that he just takes care of your daily needs. And just to be, be grateful in that. Maybe some of you are really good at asking God for personal forgiveness, but you're really bad at forgiving others. And my encouragement today is to listen to the words of Jesus, to pray what he prays in your own words, 
and to ask God to help you grow in personal intimacy with him, trust in him, growth in listening and obeying. Here's the great thing about prayer. Because we live this side of the cross, and specifically we live this side of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came, when you pray, you are not just praying by yourself, but you are actually praying with God. Catch this. Let me say this. This is huge. You are not just praying, throwing words to the air, but if you're a child of God, you are praying with God. We are told in Romans 8 that Jesus is interceding for us these things. He is actually praying for us. We're also told in Romans 8 that the Holy Spirit is interceding. And there's things that you say, there's things that you try to pray, you don't even know how to pray. You ever been there? You're like, God, I don't even know what to pray. Just, I just pray. (laughs) Whatever you want, God, I trust you. And it says that the scripture says the Holy Spirit is actually interceding groans for us. So what's great is when we are weak, he's still strong. When we are faithless, he's still faithful. When we are struggling, he doesn't. And so some of you today, you just need to know, like, God is in your corner. If God is for us, who can be against us? And when you pray, you are praying to a God who wants to act on your behalf. So be thankful, be prayerful, be watchful, because we know that I said it last week and I'll say it again. If there is one thing that the enemy wants to keep his church from doing, keep God's church from doing, it's pray. Because when you and I connect with the Father's heart, the earth shakes. When we begin to actually get on the page that God has for us, when we begin to align our hearts with him, when we begin to praise him and worship him and thank him for who he is and what he's done like he desires us to, uh, our interactions with other people change. How we view the world changes. And God's kingdom comes. And God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. And it's beautiful. I, I can't convince you of that just with words this morning. But I'm praying that the Holy Spirit can. And that as you begin to act in faith like we started today in this conversation. That you would begin to see and know the power that's at your disposal. A prayerless church is a powerless church. A prayerless Christian is a powerless Christian. But the alternative is true as well, that a prayerful church is a powerful church. And a prayerful Christian is a powerful Christian because we are no longer leaning on ourselves, we're leaning on God. One simple story as we close. Just about the personal nature of this. I was thinking about this because last night I had the opportunity to take my three daughters on a date and uh, just spend time with them. And one of my greatest joys in life is being a dad and getting, come on, get emotional. <clears throat> just getting the opportunity to know my kids, to know their hearts, to know their needs. I, I love spending time with them and, and hearing um, them as they're processing the world, as they're working through um, the good and the bad and the ugly of growing up in our, in our home and having a dad who's not a perfect father. And last night we were, we were just, you know, out enjoying uh, some time and I just, I was overwhelmed with God's goodness to give us gifts that remind us of his goodness and then to remind us that he feels that way about us. Like God wants to have this personal relationship with us. And he wants us to, to just spend time with him. And, and some of us this morning, like, you've been cheated out of what God offers you. you you're missing. I, I, there's times in my life I'm missing. I'm doing my stuff. I'm going through life. I'm trying to carry all these things and all these responsibilities and meet these demands and make progress. But what God wants most is it, it goes back to what we said last week with Mary, just to be at the feet of Jesus. And from that, everything else flows. And so, even in a practical sense, it's just real for me today to say, like, Lord, God, I just want to, I want to remind myself that I'm your son before I'm anything else, that I'm your son, you love me, and you just want to be with me. And it's from that place that I'm changed, that I'm transformed, that I'm made into who you want me to be. That's what prayer's about. That's what prayer's about. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that you are so gracious and kind 
and merciful that you are teaching us to pray. Would you teach us more? Would you drive us to our knees? God, it's, it's concerning when I evaluate how little I've prayed when I know it's so important. Even this past week, God, how I, I wanted to to do better, and, and there were definitely victories. Praise God. Thank you so much, Father. There were victories, but there are still moments where I just kind of keep living independently, and, and God, prayer gets my leftovers. You, really, your presence, your, your voice, your wisdom gets leftovers, and so, God, I, I don't want to give you the leftovers. I want to seek you first, and your kingdom, and your righteousness, and trust you to provide everything else. And so I pray this morning for this body. Again, teach us to pursue you in prayer. Teach us, God. Um, God, I pray for those, I ask for those in this room who may not know you personally. There might be some knowledge about you, but they don't yet know you personally. I pray that today they would receive, again, the the gift of adoption, the gift of forgiveness and redemption, the gift that you offer that you say by faith when we put our trust in Jesus and we turn away from ourselves and our own agendas, be it religious or rebellious, that we get to receive the gift of salvation. I pray for that to happen today in this place by the miracle of your spirit working. And God, for those of us who know you and who believe, help us to draw near, to draw near to our daddy's heart. Thank you. We invite you this morning as we worship to pray, to seek God's face. Maybe there's unforgiveness in your heart you need to deal with today. Maybe there's um, just pursuing stuff instead of God. I mean, maybe, maybe idolatry is revealed in, in, in your prayer that what you pray for is just a list of things that you want not because you want God, but because you want those things and you think those things are God somehow. Whatever it is that God wants to deal with in your heart, like he is a gentle father. He is a loving father. And as I, I prayed and as I've said, if you don't know God as a father, he invites you to, okay? Uh, if you need someone to pray over you, for you, we'll be at the back. We, we're glad to do that. If you want to sing and sing, you do that. If you want to sit, you can sit. If you want to stand, you can stand. Uh, we also have the communion table set up, and that's for God's family. That's for God's children to, to remember the price of that adoption, that wrath that was poured out on Jesus, that his body was broken, his blood was shed. And so we encourage you and invite you even to, to take that if you're a believer. Don't do that if there's unconfessed sin in your heart. Don't, don't do that if you haven't dealt with God first. But if you have dealt with God, if you've asked God, is there anything in me that I need to confess, repent of today? Do that, and then go take and remember you're forgiven. You're forgiven, washed clean, washed white as snow because of the grace of God. And then we'll close out our time together today.